Today, Pastor Chris will be leading a conversation with other pastors and their wives about racial unity and the hope found in Jesus. As we listen and learn, may our hearts and minds be open to what God would say to each of us. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we move into this next part, a conversation, an important, a necessary conversation, God, would you open the eyes and ears of our hearts and mind. May we be willing to listen to you and the promptings of your Holy Spirit. May we be aware of our own heart, the condition of our heart, and may we hear from you on how we need to change ourselves. We're listening. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Racism is real and it's wrong on every level. A recent quote I heard is by Will Smith, and I'm gonna get as accurate as I possibly can, but he said, racism isn't getting worse, it's just getting filmed. And in light of everything that's at the top of your news feed and on every news channel over the past month, uh, Brianna and I thought it was uh, super important that we would have a conversation with our friends, film it so you could see it. And this isn't a new conversation that just started in the past month. It's a conversation that we've had with uh, one couple for about the past year and another couple for about the past four years. And so it's conversations that we've had around our family dinner table, um, over the phone, text messages, sitting around our fire pit. It's just conversations that we have had uh, as friends um, in light of everything happening. And so Brianna and I thought it was just super important that we film this and that you would just be able to see uh, what this conversation is. Let me start off with Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read just verses uh, 1 through 5. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there's one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. So here are the four goals that we hope to accomplish today with this conversation uh, first and foremost is unity uh, as the body of believers and unified in peace. Second goal for us is I want you to hear the perspectives of the Waldens and Fatiomis and their families and their realities that they, that they live through each and every day. Third thing I, I, I want us to accomplish is just some practical steps on what does it really look like for us as a body of believers to come together and be united in that bond of peace. And then the fourth and final goal is honestly for, for all of us to be reminded of our ultimate hope in Jesus. So with that in mind, let me uh, introduce you to the Waldens and Fatiomis. Uh, here in front of us, we've got Sean and Tamika Walden. Sean, as you know, is uh, an up-and-coming worship leader. He's doing his very <laughs> best to figure out his thing. Uh, and so we have known uh, Sean and Tamika for four years yeah. um, and just uh, dear friends. Uh, on the TV screen is Gerald and Kylie Fatiomi. Now, here's why they're on the TV screen. Because they just had twins in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And mm -hmm. so they're first-time parents. So I told Brianna this morning, 
If you two can become first-time parents of twins in a global pandemic, the rest of parenting like is a breeze. <laughs> like it's just no biggie. So they're obviously there, they're hunkered down. And so if you see Kylie disappear for a minute, that means one of the girls needed her more than us. And so we're, we're, we're cool with that. Um, and then obviously up here uh, is my better half, Brianna. And so uh, I want to start with you. When we were talking about this conversation, you text me and go, hey, I want to be a part of this conversation. So uh, why is this important to you? That's right. Well, you know, we pray as Jesus prayed, and we pray that we want on earth to be as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't always live that way. Mm -hmm. And I want our kids to grow up in a world where lines that separate people by race are erased, mm -hmm. they're, that they're gone, that they... Um, they don't base their friendships, their relationships on people on, with their skin tone that they learn to love, especially within the church. I think, you know, we're called to unity that we are one in Christ, but we don't always live that way. And this, this conversation is so important. And Kylie and Tamika are dear friends of mine. And um, I, I wanted to be here. I wanted to, um, I love them. And we've had these conversations and um, I just, I had to step in. I'm glad you're here. It's like that. It's like, oh, that's awesome. So, uh, Sean, to me, let me, let me just start with you. So in light of everything in the past month that we've seen on the news, the top of our news feeds as we scroll, what are your thoughts? What's going on in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul? Yeah, um, man, it's been a lot of hurt, a lot of sadness, um, a lot of fear, um, you know, anger, frustration, you know, just from the repetitiveness of, you know, everything that continues to happen. And and I found myself in a place where I'm having thoughts that I never thought I'd have to think about, you know, whether it's going out jogging at night in the neighborhood or, um, you know, just having to arm myself and, you know, just how I carry myself. And it's uh, just reminded me it's just more important now than ever that I'm just constantly checking myself and trying to keep myself um, out of any situations that can escalate to be something different because uh, at this point it's, uh, it's just life or death, it feels like, um, and especially for me. Yeah, yeah. I agree. What I about agree. you, Mika? Um, same as he was saying, a lot of sadness and um, frustration, anger, even with our girls, hmm. um, trying to navigate them through all of this as well. Um, so I feel like it's just added to what have already been happening um, in the world. Um, so the more it adds, the more pressure we get, the more, like I said, like you said, fear um, starts to come about and questioning yourself um, on how to do things that would seem to be like a normal day activity. Or you have to question and um, find find ways to make sure you're, it, it's done so you won't have to be in a situation of life and death. So, yeah. Same question to you, Gerald and Kylie, just with everything that's happened, what's going on in your heart, your soul, and mind? Yeah, um, I can't watch the stories of Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, um, and not allow my mind go to, to friends like Sean and Tamika, to friends like Marquise Cox, who's one of my best friends in the world, friends like Joseph Sojourner, to my brothers, Ryan and Drew, um, their stories are not individual cases. When I see their story, I see my family. I see my friends. Um, I see every time I travel to go and preach uh, the reality that if I get pulled over um, or if I'm in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time, I may not be back home to my wife and my kids. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my heart breaks for their individual families. But collectively, when I see stories like 
this, I can't help but see us. Mm. Um, and it makes me desperate for a better future for our mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. It makes me desperate um, for change in, in our in our government and our policies. It makes me desperate desperate for change in our families and our friendships. Um, that we would be able to start to see each other the way that Jesus sees us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's tiring. It's exhausting. It's nerve wracking. Um, it's hard. It's hard, hard days. Yeah. Kylie, what do you think? Um, same, really, as Gerald. When I see these stories, and I can't even bring myself to watch the videos because when I see them, I see a father or another son or uh, just a husband who left the house and didn't return. And that just brings up unhealthy anxiety, yeah. really, um, as Gerald travels or Honestly, as he just walks outside in cases and wears a hoodie, and I think that could be our family. That mm-hmm. could be our neighbor. So a lot of anxiety, um, especially the last two weeks. Yeah, understandably so. Um, let me ask you this. So uh, your, your little girls, how old are they now? How many weeks or months? They're like... Yeah, they're, uh, they're 11 weeks. 11 weeks. 11 weeks. So brand new parents, been in this 11 weeks. So talk to me as parents, as a mom or dad, you got two brand new girls you brought into the world. What are your, what are your concerns or thoughts about ra- raising these girls to, to love Jesus, but you know, in the society that we live in? Yeah, well, when we first found out we were pregnant, obviously overjoyed and we'd always prayed for twins crazily, but um, Wait, you did pray for first... you did pray for twins? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, now, now we're thinking, be careful what you pray yeah. for. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, but um, we also were were so excited to have these or girls, but a little bit more hopeful to have a boy. And we won't tell them that, so don't show them. Yeah, the video, that's awesome. But, um, when I found out they were girls, honestly, the first thing that went through my head was, gosh, this is kind of a relief mm. Um, mm. that the percentage and the likelihood that they will be discriminated against is obviously way higher than if I had a white husband. But yeah. if I had two twin boys, it could be a totally different story. Yeah, yeah. So, um I think that's where my head's been yeah. at least with the last 11 weeks and then seeing the story repeated over and over and yeah. over. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I automatically go down the road. It's a conversation that I'm going to have to have with my girls that I don't want to have to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Living where we live in a majority white community, my mind goes down the road to their prom experience mm. and their dating experience. And knowing that it's easier for a black guy to date a white woman mm-hmm. than it is for a white guy to date a black girl and wondering if they're going to get asked to prom mm-hmm. wondering if they're ever going to be asked on a date. I think, I think back to conversations that Kylie and I had to have when we first found out that we were pregnant about how we would name our kids mm-hmm. and having that make a decision on the name of our kids based off of whether or not they'll be denied an, an opportunity to interview for a job solely based on their name. Right. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. And having to think through that, having to think through a conversation with our girls about wanting them to be strong, independent, opinionated young women, but also them having to temper their opinions so that they don't come off as angry black women. Mm-hmm. And so um, for us having girls, those are some of the conversations we think about. But then I think about my friends who have young black boys and the conversations that they have to have about how they dress and 
how they interact with the police. Um, it's not as simple as, hey, when you get pulled over, you just do what you're supposed to do and you can go home. Uh, there's extra precautions that you have to take. So um, my friend Marquise, he always says, you know, young black kids have to grow up faster than young white kids. And uh, our kids have to be able to think as an 18-year-old, as a 10-year-old. And um, yeah, so I, I just go down to those conversations and think, man, I have to prepare them for a world, um, unfortunately, that they're growing up in that I wish they weren't growing up in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Walden's y'all are a little farther down the road. You've got uh, two high school girls and a, and a girl in elementary. So you got three girls. So mm-hmm. what has it been like? Uh, your your oldest is she's sixteen, about to be sixteen. Yeah, about to be sixteen. About to be sixteen. So over the almost sixteen years, what challenges have you faced? What what has it been like raising girls? Yeah, um, a lot of similarities in the mm-hmm. thought processes, um, especially when it comes to um, like most of their childhood. Uh, we've been in predominantly white communities mm-hmm. uh, just based on where we were working and living and all those things. And uh, just trying to it, it's just so weird to have to think about sometimes like, OK, you, you can't be too black. You can't be too. Yeah, and it's just I say, it sounds weird, but that's just the reality that we live in. Like Gerald mentioned, you know, it's like this name having a certain name. Um, your resume may pop to the top of the list um, or be, you know, further down in the bottom of the uh, pile and stacks of things. And um, man, it, it's just been uh, super challenging navigating that, you know, over the past uh, several years of raising them. And now more than ever, like we're just having to have those tough conversations with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a very tough conversation with them a couple of uh, nights ago, and, and it just broke our hearts. Uh, just kind of hearing and just letting mm-hmm. them share. Um, and I just woke up, the, uh, went to bed with a heavy heart and woke up with an even heavier heart because I'm like, God, like I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like, you know, so God, like, if, if you don't intervene, if you don't come be a part of this, like I don't know how I can parent them through this as a dad so yeah. mm-hmm. Mika what about as yeah. a mom what, what's your perspective um, on that? all that he said and even what um Jared was saying about we're living in the the future of what their kids will be um with dating mm. we're dealing with the same issue with our older kid even um she's very independent if you know who she is she's very independent have her own outlook on life and she can't express her thoughts because she will be um seem to be as an angry black lady. And I'm trying, and me and Sean was talking to her the other day about, you know, sometimes you have to kind of tone it down, trying to, but like she was saying, this is how I feel, mom. This is what I feel like. Mm-hmm. This is how I want to express it. But you have to um, just dial it down a little bit. So I, I get what they're talking about as well, that our daughters, like you said, is dealing mm-hmm. with issues. Like the other night was very hard. I mean, I went to bed in tears, mm-hmm. um, crying about some of the stuff that she had, that we talked about. But yeah, like you said, we've got, um, I'm quite sure here intervene and um, we'll get through all of this. Yeah, and, and, and it's starting um, earlier and earlier, it seems. You know, it's like we got 16, uh, almost 16 year old down to a nine year old. Yeah. Even you know, nine year old is even having to. Uh, they identify, you know, the differences in one another, even at an elementary um, stage of life. And, um, you know, it's even trying to have that conversation with her this soon and break things down so that she. Uh, can understand it, but also just trying to we've we've been trying to do our best to control that narrative mm. so that our kids don't have a bad outlook on everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just we, just no matter who they are, you know, we want to be able to make sure that we're teaching them at home. Mm. 
so so instead of letting Instagram and Snapchat and all the other platforms that they have access to uh, teach them. So you want to take it from a female perspective and ask like, as a mom, as a wife? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I feel like y'all have kind of answered. Um, I wanted to talk to you, like, how do you take take this experience and deal with it as a wife and as a mom? Because this isn't these are not conversations I have to have with my children um, who are white. I, I can't imagine having to have conversations. The conversations we have are more on make sure these things don't happen, but they're not directly to him. It's more to them. It's more responsibility within their own friend groups. Um, so, I mean, how do you, how do you get to a place where you are able, I know Kylie, you can't talk to your girls about this stuff yet. <laughs> um, but what, what do you pull from? What are your resources? What are you, um, what do you, what is your heart for them in this? Either of you can answer first, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, so I don't have the experience, obviously, with raising my black girls yet. Um, but I know that I will have to look um, first on my own. I think it's a responsibility as a white woman to um, do my own research. And even though I'm married to Gerald, um, it is exhausting um, listening to the conversation he has to have day after day and um, hour after hour, really. So it's my responsibility as a white mother to do my own research first and then, of course, be surrounded with community. So um, as a mom, um, I'm looking to other Black strong women because I know that my girls may be mixed, but they're going to be seen as Black mm -hmm. 100% if they're pulled over, if they're in a store, um, wherever we are, they're Black. Um, so research, I think, for me is um, anything from books to um, online research and then reaching out to my friends who are black because um, their opinion, um, I need to sit and listen and hear what the story is and understand what we may experience or what my other friends' daughters are experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, so research, I think, like I said, number one, do it on your own if you're white, if you're black, no matter what, don't rely on someone else because they're going through their own experience. Um, yeah, and then surrounding the girls is my plan for the future as a mom with people who look like her, mm -hmm. look like them, so they don't feel singled out in a white community. Mm -hmm. um, that would be my plan. But as a wife, um, it's just it's just always, I think, going to be hard mm -hmm. um, to support Gerald, but also to let him out into the world, um, if you will, and um, let him be creative and independent but also support him, um, knowing that my, what I say is never really gonna is never really gonna help him. He has to be able to settle in. Um, he has to be able to settle and succeed as a black man. Um, and no matter what I say, because of where society is, um, he just has to be confident with who he is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree with Kylie. Um, research will be um, the best thing for me with my kids. We learned moving up here uh, from the South is we have to make sure we um, instill that research that we found in them in our history um, mm -hmm. in them our way, our narrative and not what they may read in a book at school mm -hmm. or um, mm -hmm. whatever may be taught at school. Um, we make sure that we um, make sure we place that in them instead of what they may see in the world or whatever. Um, and like you said, surrounding them with people that looks like them is a big thing. 
Um, some, something I kind of regret sometimes when I talk to my girls about it because um, we haven't uh, been able to find that group that looks like them right now. You know, I remember Jared preaching about uh, once one time that reminded me of my daughter. You may be too black for this friend group, but you're not white enough for this friend group. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what my older two are in right now. They're in high school and they want to have friends, but they're not black enough to be with this group, but they're not white enough to be with other groups. So we're struggling and trying to navigate through, them, through that. So we're doing a lot of research on that and um, just embracing them and let them know that they are good. You are who yes. you are. You are enough. Yeah. You're okay with yeah. being the color you are. You're okay. I always call them um, my little brown girls made out of gold. <laughs> 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 so they always laugh at me, y'all. So I guess like just building that up in them. Yeah. Is my That's my awesome. thing, and with Sean, it's just like a you know me. I'm a prayer person. I pray about everything. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm an old school warrior. So I have my all and all that yeah. and so it's a lot of prayer yeah <laughs> a lot of prayer and I still believe in it all so um, that's what I that's what I would say about all that yeah. so let me flip the coin to, to Gerald and Sean and so let me talk to you guys just as dudes as husbands as fathers uh, and as leaders and so if you don't know uh, both Gerald and Sean sit on our executive leadership team so uh, they and me and a few other people and we shape the the future and the vision of the church and so Gerald and Sean and I spent a lot of time together, so much so that I know Gerald hates Adidas shoes. I know that. So Sean and I wear them just to mess with them. I'll, you can't be a Christian and wear Adidas. Yeah. <laughs> I also know that Sean loves hot dogs. Like, yes. in, like loves, if it's a filet mignon or ballpark Frank, it's, it's the ballpark it's Frank. So it's a great date night if we go have hot dogs. <laughs> Oh, yeah. True, so they know about my weird quirk. So, yeah. so Gerald, let me start with you. Just as a, as a husband, as a father, as a leader uh, in a local church, what, what what are you thinking? Yeah, I think uh, as a new dad, um, a switch has definitely flipped for me. Um, I think I've spent a good number of years being accommodating and uh, mm. not necessarily using my, my influence, my platform, my voice um, as strongly as maybe I could have. Um, but now things feel different mm. because at the end of every day I, I get done with work and I pick up my little girls and um, I look in their eyes and I imagine the world that I want for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's my responsibility as their dad to create that world. Yeah. And so I will fight the battles that have to be fought. Um, I will lose the friends that need to be lost. Mm -hmm. yeah. I will go to the places that need to be gone. I will vote the way that I need to vote. Um, I will protest the way that needs to be protested in order to create the world that they can grow up in where they will be judged by the content of the character and not the color of their skin. That's my responsibility yeah. as their dad. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I feel as a dad. I think as a husband, um, I'm really, really, really blessed to have a wife uh, who is considerate of me who cares deeply for me, um, who can understand the moments where I just need to sit in a room by myself and not talk to anyone because I've seen another story and I don't know what to do with it, um, who understands in moments where she is with both of the girls and I'm sitting on a Zoom call with all of my Black guy friends going, we don't even know what to say, but we just know we need to be together right now yeah. because of coronavirus, we can't. So let's just sit on the Zoom and look at each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I've just been really blessed to have a, a really great support in that way. Um, I think being married to a white woman who uh, is willing to listen to my experience and not ask questions. Um, I think 
I think my, my closest white friends are the ones who are willing to listen to my experience and just choose to believe me, to not go, there's no way that that happened. That's an exaggeration of your experience. To just go, I'm sorry, and I understand. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish it wasn't that way. Uh, it's, been, it's been really huge. And then I think as a pastor, as a leader uh, in the church, um, you know, you go back to the civil rights movement, you think, of Dr. Martin Luther King, we often leave off his first title. It was Reverend Dr. Mm. Martin Luther mm. King, right? And so we like to think of Martin Luther King as a as a uh, a peaceful, nonviolent activist, which he was. But we forget that he was a pastor and a theologian first. Mm. And so I think back to the civil rights movement, and I can't help but notice that the movement was led by clergymen. It was led by the church. Mm. And the reason that we would see peaceful protests is because the church would gather and pray before they protest. Mm. And the church was the one who was leading the way going, as followers of Jesus, it is our right, it's our responsibility to take care of these fees mm. and to model the way to do that appropriately. Um, our churches have gotten safer and we have left the banner of social justice to be carried by culture rather than by Jesus. And I think as a leader in the church, it's my responsibility to go, no, 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 no. If change is going to happen, it starts with us because morality started with us it started with jesus and so um i think as we look at the teaching of jesus it's hard to not care for the least of these to not want to raise your voice your life your influence for the oppressed so, yeah yeah that's all sean same question as, as a husband father and as a church leader yeah um yeah gerald and i haven't had a chance to talk fully on a lot of these things and it's uh just i'm blown away it's just like how parallel some of the thoughts are um in in all of this um, like one of the things that we have on our mirror that uh, Mika, you know, we've shared with you guys, um, and it just simply says, it ends with me. Mm, yeah. um, and the more that we unpack that as a family, um, it, before it was just some of the little things that, with, that were just specifically within our family, generation mm-hmm. after generation, that we wanted it to end with us. But the more we continue to unpack um, those generational curses, we started to broaden that uh, scope and goes, no, 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 this is bigger than just the Walden. There are some things that our kids should not have to live through um, at, with our society. And we're going to, you know, die on whatever hill we need to die on. Like Gerald said, lose whatever friends, drop whoever we need to drop so that we can create a better society, um, play our part in creating a better society and world, um, just future for our kids. And um and for me, that has uh, even helped me just kind of reshape some of my thoughts over the past several months. I got into ministry just because I felt God just tugging on my heart several years ago. It's like uh, I, he just clearly st- spoke to me and said, I want to use you to bridge gaps. Mm. And that was back in 2005. Mm -hmm. And since that moment, I have not been um, in a black church. I have not worked for a black church. Um, And and just over the past several years, I've been like praying God, I don't know what that means. It's just me. What difference can I make? And just over the last several years and now more than ever, seeing that God has surrounded me with some incredible people in my life to remind me and let me know that it's not just my battle to fight along. Uh, you know, I can have conversations uh, with friends like you guys and the fatty homies. Um, you know, you guys get it and you understand and several others here right in our church and in our community who are willing to listen and understand. And now it's not just me fighting this battle for me and my family, me and my girls. It's all of us who are um, taking this heel together. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So here, here's the final question. I think it's a question that everybody really wants to know. So how do we as 
you know, brothers and sisters united in Christ, right? If Jesus is at the center and the goal is to be unified in a bond of peace, like what are practical steps, you know, to where it goes, you know, past conversation or a, or a, a Facebook video that you watch, we go, and what are some practical things that I can do? And Gerald, I'd love to start with you. Uh, you posted something, I think last week, just based off the Good Samaritan. And I loved it because you did it like a good preacher and you had three <laughs> points and it was just flowed so well. So, but break it down and that thought it was just super practical. Yeah, yeah. So the story of the Good Samaritan, it's a made up story that Jesus is telling to illustrate the point. The question that's asked is who is my neighbor, right? A teacher of the law is essentially asking this question to get out of loving the people around him well. Uh, and Jesus responds by telling the story of two racially tense groups, um, the Jews and the Samaritans, the Samaritans being the more inferior racial group of the day. Uh, and he chooses to make the inferior racial group this, the hero of the story, which is an interesting thing that Jesus does. Um, the story is that a Jewish man is beat up and left on the side of the road. Two religious leaders see him on one side of the road and they choose to walk to the other side of the road. One, because he doesn't want to be unclean. The other, because he's in a rush and doesn't have time to deal with it. And then this Samaritan comes along. Samaritan, who should have never interacted with the Jews, sees this broken Jew on the side of the road and he picks him up and he helps him. Um, and there's some, some interesting things that happen in the story that the Samaritan picks him up, he takes him to an inn, he pays for his time at the inn. And then when he leaves the inn, he says to the innkeeper, hey, anything that's owed, put it on my tab, hmm. right? So here are, the, here are the things that happen in the story. One is the Samaritan sees a broken Jew on the floor and he never asked the question, how did you get here? Hmm. He never dug in and said, what was your criminal history? What were the other facts of the story? What has your community done that's put you in this situation? No, he saw a broken man and he had compassion on him. And as I think of the case of George Floyd and I hear a man begging for his mom who died two years before. The only appropriate response is compassion. Mm. And that's what Jesus models in the Samaritan. It doesn't matter how we got here. He needs help, mm. right? Um, so this man sees his broken man and picks him up. And then he does three things. He invests his time. When everyone else was so busy, they couldn't deal with it. He takes the time to care about his issue. Uh, not only does he give his time, he takes him to the end and he invests his resources. He says, hey, whatever is owed, I'll pay for it. It's on me. So whatever resources I have, I'll give to the situation. And then lastly, he says to the innkeeper, hey, if there's anything else owed, oh, you can put it on my tab. So I'll come back and I'll take care of the rest. And that's influence. You have to have influence in order to have a tab somewhere. And so I think for us, what this practically looks like is our time, our resources, and our influence being invested in the issues of race. And so our time, that looks like reading books, some great books to read, um, are The Color of Compromise, uh, Blood at the Root, be a, be a Bridge Builder by Latasha Morrison, and White Fragility, my wife is reading that book right now. This is some great resources to take the time to understand um, the history of our country, how we got into this situation, but not only to read books, to have conversations with your friends of color, um, like we're doing right now, right? To sit around a dinner table or a fire pit and go, Hey, can you tell me about your experience? Can you tell me what it's been like for you? Can you tell me um, how you're processing what you're going through right now? So it's time, uh, it's our resources. It's finding great organizations that are doing the work um, to help people of color progress. And so um, I've asked friends to donate to EJI, the, Inter the uh, Equal Justice Initiative that is working on criminal justice reform. I've asked friends to donate to the Thurgood, Thurgood Marshall 
um, education fund that helps African Americans uh, pay their way through college. And so it's investing our resources. And then lastly, it's our influence. It's raising our voice. Um, and that's the reason that posting on social media is a big deal. It feels like it doesn't make that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. But collectively, when we all use our influence together, it does change things. And we saw that in the case of Ahmaud Aubrey. When everyone raised their voice, there was so much pressure on the system and the rest had to be made. Um, and so I'm not saying, you know, every situation we all have to post and every situation um, we all have to take to the Internet or take to the streets. But I do think we all have influence and whether that's publicly or whether that's that's personally with your family and with your friends, having conversations um, where you go, hey, I have influence in your life because we've known each other forever. I've heard you say some things and I don't think that those are OK. So can we talk about them? Yeah. So. Um, yes, our time, our resources that's, are important. That's great. Yeah, that was good. Sean, Mika, same question to you guys. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, um, I mean, I can't sum it up any better than what Gerald just did. I mean, uh, I probably should have gone first. But no, one of the big things for me, uh, just kind of something practically uh, practical that I'm doing, and um, at, we left our conversation with our girls the other night, and, um, and I just feel like uh, we need to get to a place that we're willing to step away from it for a minute, press pause and be still. Yeah. Um, that we, we're constantly receiving stuff from our news feeds and the conversations that we are having, but um, are we pausing long enough and just sitting with God and just saying, okay, God, what, what is my role in this? Like, how, how can I make a difference? I don't know what my voice or what my platform is right now. Like, help me understand how I can move forward. Um, but if we're just constantly listening to the noise that's coming in and never taking time to uh, just just sit with it and try to figure out that next step, I, I don't feel like uh, for me personally, I don't feel like I've been able to move forward with anything. So but that's where I am right now, um, personally. So, yeah. so um, you know, after Maude Arbery and, and George Floyd, I, I call both you guys and like 95 percent of our conversations, we're talking about church or leadership mm-hmm. or, you know, sermons or kids or marriage. I mean, just, just stuff or sports or sneakers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then things like that happen. And, um, you know, to be reminded uh, that my buddies uh, are fearful to go jogging. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's like a, you, you, it's almost incomprehensible, mm-hmm. right? Just to go or, or to wear a, a hoodie, right? But that's, like, like, that's a legit and concern. And, and to hear that and going, I mean, it's, it's heavy, you know. Yes, as a pastor, but just like as a friend mm-hmm. to go, you know, my goodness. So, um, you know, I just want to thank you for, for sharing. This is a lot easier conversation sitting around a family dinner table in private, is it not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's way easier just to kind of sit around and talk. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I just want to thank you. Um, and to Mika and Kylie, thank you guys so much for being here and willing to engage in that. I, 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 <laughs> I get that Sean and Gerald are used to being on a stage <laughs> on camera. And so uh, that, that's, that's a really big deal. Yeah. So here's how I'd love to close. I'd love for uh, each of us just to pray. And so, um, Sean, I'd love to start with you. Um, and then Mika, and then Gerald, and then Kylie, and then Brianna, and, th- and then I'll close this out. And just we'll just close in prayer together. Uh, God, we just thank you so much um, that we can even have this conversation. Uh, we just thank you for the relationships that we have uh, to be able to have it. And God, um, 
just hear our hearts cry, um, just so that we can be united as one. We can all be individually who you created us to be, but we pray that you would just unite us, give us what we need to just be united as one. Um, God, I pray that we don't wait for a global solution, that we seek you right now more than ever, and you can give, give us a solution that uh, fits who we are and that we can implement right now so that we can start paving the way for generations to come. God, I thank you for these moments that we're experiencing just so that you can be the center of it all. God, I thank you for being who you are in the midst of it all. I ask that you go with those that are protesting. Let it be peaceful. Let it be noticed. Let it move mountains, God, only that you can move. I ask that you give us peace in the midst of it all. Give us understanding, God, that it's all will be broken, God, that you are the one that can make it better, God. Let us go back to you being the center of it. Go back to your light. Go back to you. Call on your name, God. Only you can make this better. Globally, in the country that it is now, God, only you can do this. And I ask that you continue to work on us and be a bridge for us, God. Thank you, God. Mm -hmm. uh, Father, I first and foremost just want to say thank you for who you are. Thank you that you hear every voice, every color, every nation, every person, um, and you love us all. And your heart for us is that we would be a united church. Jesus, that's what you prayed for before you left, that we would be one. And so would you help us to do that? Would you help us to set aside our own opinions, our own history, uh, the way that we've grown up, the way that we've seen things forever? Would you humble us that we could really be united? Uh, Father, I do want to thank you right now for um, the majority of police officers who are doing an incredible job caring for their communities. Uh, taking care of citizens who are risking their life on a daily basis um, to keep us safe and protected. I thank you for the ones who are doing it well, who care for us, who love us, and who support us so well. Um, Father, I thank you for the protesters who are doing it peacefully, um, for the ones who are raising their voice and doing it in an appropriate way, for the ones who are taking time away from their jobs, from their family, from their friends, in order to affect change in our country. Um, and Father, I pray for all of us that you would not allow us to be distracted um, by the few who are wrong in both sides, that we would be able to actually look forward to the good um, mm -hmm. and see the work that, you are, that you're already beginning. And God, then I pray that you would convict us individually and that you would mm -hmm. show us um, where we need to step in, where maybe there's some things that are broken in us that need to be fixed, where maybe there's some, um, some vision problems, the way that we see things that need to be changed, um, where maybe we need to take action that we haven't yet. And so in all of us, God, I pray that you would you would grow us, that you would strengthen us, that you would build us, um, but ultimately that we would look more like Jesus at the end of all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, Lord, I just thank you for this place and this space where we can openly talk about um, our hurt and the reality of our world, God. Um, so thank you for this church, and I just pray that these words fall on ears that may not have heard um, these stories before, God, and that when they hear them, they're open to um, understanding and changing and asking appropriate questions rather than closing their hearts and uh, refusing to hear what the hurt is and how it's happening in our world today, God. Um, and I pray for protection over my husband um, and over all of my other Black brothers and sisters that are hurting and are exhausted and um, 
just can't understand what the next step might be. So Lord, please continue to protect them. Just put protection over all of them as we move forward um, and make it so that the next generation doesn't have to feel this weight. God, I thank you so much. And I just echo what all of my brothers and sisters have already said. And I pray for unity um, in our world and in our country. And everything is so divided right now. And I pray that you would use your church to bring unity in, in our communities, in our nation, and in our world, Lord. Lord, your word says in Revelation chapter 7. It says, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count. From every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Lord, I thank you for that picture you gave us in your word of not some, not most, but every <laughs> tribe, nation, language, and tongue. We represented in heaven, God, and so Lord... My prayer is that you just drive that vision into the depths of our heart and of our soul. Mm -hmm. I pray that you'd bring us together, God, united in the bond of peace centered around you. God, I thank you for Sean and Tamika and Gerald and Kylie and just their willingness to be vulnerable, to share their stories, to share their heart. Mm -hmm. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you would take this conversation that we've had before Bless it and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.